Tonight is a very special night, and I just thank you all for being here. Um, we are going to present to you a little bit of the work that we've done over the past years um, that, that Grace United Methodist has been um, a part of Jinja, Uganda. Um, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you my friend, um, Harold Brown. We call him Jaja, which means grandfather in Uganda. Um, but we're just going to talk to you guys a little bit about uh, the work that has been going on in Uganda um, and how we as a church can get involved as well as individually involved um, and how we can pray specifically for some of the needs that are um, very apparent there. So um, I'm going to just let, let you actually open up with prayer if you want to. Okay. Dear Lord, we, we thank you so much for this time to fellowship together and talk about the things you're doing all over the world. We thank you, Lord, for, for what you do here. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunities you give us here and in our state and, and in our country, Lord. We thank you for the many things that, that you're doing all over the world. And we pray, Lord, that you give us the opportunity to join you in the work that you're doing. We pray, Lord, and thank you, Lord, for us giving a safe trip here. And, and we pray, Lord, that, that, that everyone here will come with open heart and, a, and, and an open mind, Lord, to look at the things that you're doing and become aware and join you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, love Courtney. Uh, I first uh, met her when she was going to school at Bruton Parker. And uh, she was a friend of my son, Jonathan. Uh, my son, Jonathan, is in seminary at, uh, at Emory. And he is uh, working also full-time at a church in Columbus, Georgia, as a youth pastor. He's been there now two years. He's done another year and a half in, in uh, seminary. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad that, that he is, uh, is really, really getting into the work that, that he's, uh, he's chosen. I don't like mics, and this one's on my lapel, so sometimes it's going to sound louder than it does, <laughs> because... I have to move around, but, uh, but if y'all would, uh, anybody that can come a little you know, closer to the front, we do have a video for you. We have some pictures here that we would like you to look at uh, after we're finished, and uh, Courtney has some, some trinkets out there that you might want to have a look at. Uh, we have, first thing I want to talk about really is, is, is our purpose. You know, uh, I'm a member of the, uh, the, the generation that was trying to find out the the reason for life. You know, we were all trying to find out what the purpose of life was. And uh, we were a rebellious generation, and uh, some of you might uh, fit in there too. But we wanted to know what the purpose of life was. You know, but the thing about it was that the reason and the explanation for the purpose all along uh, was in, in Scriptures. And Jesus tells us, you know, what our reason and our purpose is. Now, we have a lot of other sideline reasons, but our real reason is, is to go and make disciples. I want to read you a uh, first uh, passage you're really familiar with. It's from Matthew chapter 28. Uh, I want to read you uh, 18, 19, and 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All in authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Christ is going to be with us in the work that He has asked us to do, the commandment that He gave us. 
the church itself, uh, we kind of kind of look at that commandment and we say, wow, you know, that's, that's a big order. Well, you got to kind of look at it. I, I, I took a, a course and I used it at our church. It was from Lifeway. It was called the, the Acts 1-8 Challenge. And if you're familiar with that, it's similar to what we've just read. Uh, it's looking at it a little bit differently. But in that, that the particular thing, we talked about, you know, where Christ wanted us to be and where he wanted us to make disciples. And he makes, makes mention in 1.8 uh, that we should be making disciples in Jerusalem, here in Palmetto, that we should be making disciples in Judea, which would be Georgia. We should be making disciples in Samaria. Good name for it, I guess, the rest of the United States. And then we should be making disciples in the world, to the ends of the earth. Now, if you read that the way I read it, it doesn't say pick one. It doesn't say pick, pick Jerusalem and that's what you do. He didn't say that. He didn't say, okay, well, pick two from above, like the Chinese you know, food menu. You pick one from column A, one from column B. No. He's saying that we're supposed to be doing all of these things. And we're supposed to do them simultaneously at the same time. That's hard for one person to do, is it not? Hard for one person to do. Well, was he talking to one person? No. He was talking to the body of Christ, no matter what you call yourself. If you're a member of the body of Christ, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Everything else is supposed to be a sideline. In fact, the other things that we're doing are supposed to enable us to do the thing that God commanded us to do. To teach about what God said and make disciples. And I hear that you do that here. That you're active in Jerusalem. Sometimes it's harder to be active in Judea and in Samaria. But actually it's easier to be probably... (laughs) to do things in Samaria than it is just in, in Georgia. But we're just supposed to do those things. We're supposed to do them all at the same time, and everyone is to take part. The body of Christ is enabled by God, by the efforts of the body, to do the things that He's commanded. And I don't doubt that we can't do that. We're supposed to join God where He's working. You know, we don't have to come up with new ideas. You know, how are we going to, to, to send the gospel out? How are we going to do these things that, that Christ asked us to do? You know, how, how can we make this work? We don't have to worry about that. You see, God's been doing this for a long time. And He's got the market cornered. You know, He knows exactly how to do it if we will follow the instructions got to follow the instructions. Well, in order to follow the instructions, you've got to be able to, to read the book, you know? You've got to be able to, to read it. You've got to be able to, to uh, use it, understand it. And who helps you understand it? You can't. <laughs> you know, we can share each other's problems with understanding, but the Holy Spirit interprets it for us. He gives us, you know, the Holy Spirit. He gave it to us. It's part of Him. Can you imagine, you know, just think, within you, the person who belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, who is a member of God's community in the body, has within themselves the Holy Spirit which was with Him at the formation 
of all things. And before that, living in you. And you live here in Palmetto, Georgia. That's how important the children of God are to Him. Part of Him is in them. And that's how we understand the things God would have us to do, along with the body of Christ, because that's who He put us there for, with. Um, but talking about joining God where, where He is, I did some studies, and there were tremendous studies. I, how many of you ever uh, took and did the Experience in God studies uh, by Henry Blackaby? Tremendous book. I go back to it about every five years and redo it. And I find that I've never done it the same twice. There's always a change in the way I've looked at it. It's because God gives me more each time I do it. Because my understanding of what I've already learned is there. And He builds on it. And He gives me people and puts people in my life to keep, keep building on my understanding of it. And in Blackaby's make a, made a statement you know, in there that you know, we don't have to figure out what to do. God's already doing it. And all we have to do is join Him where He's working. We don't have to figure that out. He's already doing it. It's not a hard thing. It's kind of like follow the leader. An easy game for kids to play. Someone gets in the front, everybody else pays attention, and they do exactly what the leader does. That's what Christ wants us to do. Follow the leader. If you want to find out how we're supposed to, to do these things, how are we supposed to teach, how are we supposed to disciple, send your book. It's in the Bible. We talk about them in the groups when we meet. And then after this, we go out and we do those things God said for us to do in the workplace and at home and families and in places that we walk and talk and live in the schools every day. You know, when we, you go on a mission trip, and how many of y'all have been on foreign mission trips? You'll probably amen on this. When you go, you have an expectation. You expect certain things when you go. And when you get there, you find out you're wrong. Your perception is changed because of what you've seen and, and experienced. Same thing about you know, following God and, and being a Christian and doing the things He says. You, know, you may have one expectation, but unless you've tried it, or unless you've experienced it, you know, maybe you really haven't got it all yet. But, <clears throat> but in our lives, the first time I went on a, a mission trip uh, to, to Jinja, Uganda, I went there uh, totally with my expectations, and, and when I came back, I, I was just, just full of gee, you know, all we got to do is throw money at this. We can spend this, and we can do that for them, and we can spend that, and we can do this for them. Uh, they need this, and they need that. I didn't open my eyes on my first trip. Yeah, they, they may need certain things, but, but my perception of sanctuaries and, you know, and all these other kind of good things and big stuff, you know, Food, huge food banks, you know, all kind of stuff, you know, ways to get the food to everybody that's starving. You know, just trying to figure that out, you know. But the one thing that I missed on that first trip was the smile on those people's face. The other thing I missed on the trip 
was the peace that they enjoyed. Another thing I missed on that trip was their commitment to God. Jinja and, and Uganda is a, they, they, they say they're a Christian country. Come on in. They say that it's a Christian country. Well, uh, the Muslims would like to believe that it's a Muslim country. And there's all kinds of other religions over there, uh, especially spiritual type religions that go back into their history, all different kinds of stuff that they've incorporated together to make different kinds of, of religions. The, uh, the people there are having a problem with schools. Now, the Muslim community is throwing tons of money into building schools in the big cities. Okay? Huge, huge mosques, huge things. You know? And, and they're building schools and they're bringing these young kids in, these children, they're, they're, they're giving them educations and bringing them up and teaching about, you know, Islam. And they know because they're blank slates, tabula rasa. They're blank slates. They bring them in, you know, and, and they're training them and they're teaching them about, you know, being a Muslim. They're trying to combat that in some of the, the churches. And I'm going to give you some good news about the growth of Christian churches in Uganda in just a minute. But they're also trying to, to start a church. Every single little church that comes up is trying to start a school so they can bring the children in and teach them about Christianity as they teach them about the things they need to grow. That's an exciting thing. And we'll come back to that. But as you see, you know, there's a big competition for the children. The average, the average age in in the country of Uganda, now there's people older than this, the average age of the people in Uganda is around 15 years old. Girls get married around 12, 13, 14 years. Usually to a man that's 15, 20 years older than they are. What's one, one proud thing that the people in the churches, the Christian churches in Uganda are so proud of, and they're first ones to tell you, the husband will say, I'm the husband of one wife. It's a very proud thing. When you, it's not going to be five minutes after you're introduced to these people, that man's going to tell you, I'm a husband of one wife. Proud thing. These people live in such a way that, that it's really hard to, to understand. They, they put Christianity absolutely first in their life before anything else. And they live it that way. They haven't got anything else. They're not confused. And you know, I wish I had that. I want to, uh, I know you know who uh, Courtney is. And uh, I'm, I've asked her to come up and, and talk about her experience a little bit. Talk about her perception. Uh, how, uh, wh- how she felt when she went. Her observations and how it affected her life when she came back. Uh, You guys know me (laughs) pretty well. Um, 
But I, I did want to share just a little bit about uh, this past year, um, just some personal things in my life and how God kind of just worked through them all and brought me um, to even have eyes open and have the opportunity to go on um, a trip like that and then further, uh, further place the desire to go back and to really be involved in um, the ministry that God has um, for his church in Uganda. Um, last year was a hard year. Last year, um, I had someone really close to me die. Um, he was involved in a motorcycle wreck, and we had, uh, we had three days to say goodbye to him. And uh, all this, during this time, I, uh, we were preparing for going to Uganda. Jonathan had called me and said, hey, I'm going back to Africa. And I'm like, yes, I want to go to Africa. I want to go back. I want to experience um, a different part of, of what God was doing over there. Um, so I was ready on board, and uh, and when this tragedy happened, um, I said, you know, I really I have too much going on. I can't I can't do this. I can't raise the money. I mean, it was three grand that you know you have to cough up right then and there because airfare is ridiculous. Um, and um, and so I I just said, you know what, I'm going to put this on hold right now and um, just just mellow in my pain type thing. Just let me hold this in and deal with it on my own, that sort of thing. Um, and Mr. Harold said, nope, we've got the money covered. You come on. And um, that couldn't have been the, um, there is no better thing that could have happened because um, just seeing people outside of myself, seeing the um, opportunity to minister to other people. I, I don't know if you've ever been through anything ridiculously difficult and um, had the choice to either to mellow in that or to serve, but serving is always better. I mean, I, I just, I'll say that serving is always better. Um, it lets you see outside of yourself. And here we were in this place where nearly every child that you that you talk to is either an orphan or has lost several family members to AIDS or the ridiculous amount of other diseases um, that are a part of Africa. Um, and being able to see what other people are going through, um, um, it just, it allows you to see outside of yourself. And um, it just, it was a very healing thing for, for me. Um, I could tell you so much. I could tell you so many numbers and figures that would shock you and astound you and break your heart because it did mine. And every time we go, it's like I learned something new that just absolutely, it tears you to the core. You just, you don't understand what's, what's going on. Um, I could tell you that most parents don't name their children until they're three years old because the infant mortality rate is so high. I could go on about child sacrifice that still happens in the village. This is the 21st century, and there's child sacrifice. Um, crazy, ridiculous, but it still happens. But instead, I want to tell you a story because we were made for stories. We relate to people. We relate um, to personalities, and we relate to personal stories, um, not figures and numbers and that sort of thing. So um, just don't mind if I read to you just a little bit. We're... Uh, I can just sit down, young, young gather around. No, it's okay. Um, <laughs> I want to tell you a story. Would you mind if I took you back in time with me to two months ago, to ten months ago, to that open-doored sanctuary with the temperate near-ocean breeze dancing over the dancing congregation, 
to the sound of faintly familiar hymns sung in another tongue, populating the air molecules with the air of expectancy and the startling yips and squeals of the women echoing a joyous noise unto the Lord, to the weighty hum of lengthy translated sermons and the little ones sitting near, squirming with restless impatience of the usual four-year-old, to that distinct smell wafting in. Oh, yes, the combination of gathered people in close quarters and fresh mangoes and bananas growing on the trees just outside the tin roof building. Because of the too much love you have for us, I hear the pastor say. Some things just don't translate. He continues, You left home and your families. Pause for translation. You flew here to Africa. Pause for translation. Just to be with us. Pause for translation. He considered it a sacrifice, a sacrifice to witness the Spirit of God active and moving amongst a people I had not even considered a sacrifice, to embrace the freedom that accompanies the Holy Spirit, a sacrifice to escape my selfish motives, intentions, and prisons, and be altogether embraced and loved by the very bride of Christ, active and alive, moving and seeking among a people, a people who call me daughter. And sister. I've never witnessed such joy. It's true, I haven't. Such thankfulness. Then I remember how the two are intertwined. Joy is in the heart of thanksgiving. Kara in the, at the heart of Eucharist. I learned that before I boarded the plane for Entebbe, and then, then I got to see it. I've, I've spoken to a few of you. I've kept most of what I've learned and seen kind of secret. I it's almost a treasure that I, I can't really even put into words. Um, it probably hasn't made much sense when I've told you figures and numbers and that sort of thing. I've been attempting to speak with a language of the heart, and in truth, I'm, I'm utterly downfund, down, dumbfounded by it all. See, I'm unable to even speak. I have no words, because it's as though I know there is a language with which to describe this fire in my bones, this awakening in my spirit. But it must be a language of the angels, because some things just don't translate. Um, I want to show you a video um, also of, um, this is actually, a lot of these are taken from this past January. We went uh, to Wayanga uh, Central. It's a church within the Jinja district, um, and this was uh, what we did there, it was basically a, a training session for the pastors of, of the area. We have pastors from all the way from Kenya who would foot, and that's basically walking, um, for four days, just nonstop. And here they would come in three-piece suits um, in the Ugandan heat, and they would come just to hear the word of God, just so that they could go back to their congregations and teach it with fervency and power. Um, so they could go back and um, and have something more to give to their hungry congregations. And I'm just, it astounds me. It astounds me. It breaks my heart that we're not, we're not like that. Um, and when you see it, when you see it, it's like, I just, I got to have that. It's, it's such a, um, I mean, I really, I'm, I'm out of words here to even describe it because it is such a, um, a New Testament thing. I mean, it's such a biblical thing. You hear Jeremiah talking about it. You hear Paul being constrained to it. And, you know, it's just like that is what he was talking about. So I want to show you a video. Um, and it's just a little bit of um, the the first child that you're going to see. Um, her name is Rashada. And she, um, she was there um, in January when we went. 
Uh, she came from a family um, that wasn't much of a family. Um, her, from what we could gather, her mother had passed away, um, and her father had remarried, and the, uh, the new family, the, the children involved in the new family were um, more important, and so Rashada got kind of cast aside, which is normal. It happens a lot, um, and so she was about six or seven years old, and most of the children, if they're going to go to school, it's usually by the time they're six, and once they're kind of reached beyond that age, they're not going to go to school. That's that's usually where the cutoff is. Am I right? Okay. Um, and so here she was, six or seven, um, very obvious that she was malnourished. Um, tattered clothes were the, all the clothes were tattered, but um, when you see day three, day four, day five, the same exact clothes in a row, um, you realize something is up. Um, and so we went back in August, and it's a small, small village. I mean, everybody knows everybody. We came back, and she had not been seen. She still has not been um, located. And so, um, you know, what what do you do? You just pray that God is a better, better parent, a better um, loving father, and has kept her safe. Um, again, like I said, child sacrifice is not unheard of for these areas. And so, you know, I just ask that, that you pray for Rashada whenever you think about her, but she's going to be the first child you see um, on the screen. I have a ridiculous amount of pictures of her, so I'm sorry. (laughs) Go ahead and roll that beautiful bean footage. I want you to, uh, if you'll remember, there was a lady... I just have to say this now. It's not in any place here. There's a lady standing in front of a sign that said Wayanga Church. It was a big white sign. There was two women standing at the bottom. And she had a red dress on. Was it red? I'm pretty sure it was red. Uh, that, her name is Mary Chumbody. Mary is the, the, the wife of the pastor of Wayanga Central United Methodist Church in Jinja. And uh, Mary has some serious health problems, besides malaria, which everybody has over there. And they have an attack at least three or four times a year, sometimes pretty close to being, you know, deadly. But besides that, she, she's, got, she's got some other serious, serious problems. Six hours from now, Ugandan time, let's see, right now, it's 1.31 a.m. in Kampala, Uganda, which is the capital. About 8 o'clock, Mary is going to have surgery. Tonight, when y'all go home, I'm going to ask you to go to the Lord. Go to your place where you pray. And I want you to pray for Mary. She probably will die in this surgery. Well, we want to pray for a miracle. Uh, we tried to get her to come to the U.S. We arranged it. We had senators. We had congressmen. Uh, we had all everything, everything paid for for her to come here and have the surgery. The United States Embassy wouldn't allow it. Okay? It wasn't that it was the United States Embassy. Uh, there was a, a person who gave the, the interview. They have to go to interviews to get a visa to prove they're coming back. Well, she's been refused twice before when we've tried to bring her over here. And uh, when she went, 
there would be a whole list of questions, 30, 40, 50 minutes worth of questioning. And then they would go to a committee and decide whether or not she was going to be able to come. Well, this last time when she was coming for the, we were trying to get the, 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 the visa for the surgery, the lady who gave the interview, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. The person who gave the interview asked her one question and turned to her and said, no, you're not going. So she's going to have the surgery there. And I don't want to go into to what's going to happen or what kind of situation she's going to be in. But if you've been to a third world country, you know what kind of, what kind of hospitals they have. So I want you today, when you go home, to pray for Mary Chumbody. Go before the throne and ask God who can do anything to heal that woman. Uh, excuse me. <clears throat> Tell you a little, bit, a little bit about Uganda, its history. Long time ago, before they kept records, there were tribes, of people, and uh, there was this one guy who was a tremendous hunter. He would go out and he really provided for his family. He brought food in. I mean, he brought meat in. He, brought, he, he, he took care of people. Not only did he take care of his own family, he took care of the other people that, couldn't, that, were, that were failing at bringing in food. And he was so good, they decided they wanted to make him chief of the tribe. And they did. That was the beginning of the Buganda tribe, who is the largest tribe, and they still have them, in Uganda. There are other tribes, but this one is foremost. Okay? mostly in, in the little map down there in the northern part of Uganda, which is just, just south of the new country of South Sudan, which you know all the kind of problems they're having there. <laughs> but uh, but that's, that's, that's the area of that particular tribe. Uh, Isaac's family is, is Bugandan, and so that just kind of connects him with a long lineage of people in there. Well, they became that, and they had a chief. Well, it wasn't long after that, the Germans and the English and everybody were exploring Africa, okay? And that what they did in Africa is they would set up colonies, okay? And all of a sudden, I think the Germans were there first, and then the, then the English came in, and they, they claimed Uganda, and they, and they called it the Pearl of Africa. And you can look that up in your encyclopedia and read about it. But, but the Pearl of Africa, it talks about how beautiful a place it was, and it still is. And, uh, and there, so they're used to having, like, a king, and then uh, they had uh, some dictators. Um, some of you may remember Idi Amin and the things that he did there. Another thing to look up, guys, if you want to find out something about Uganda. He was terrible. He was the worst person. He just killed lots of people, okay? Ran the government. And uh, then they became a democracy. And they've had a couple of, uh, since then they've had a, a, a couple of presidents, the second president, uh, he's, he's just run for his fifth term and won. <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> but, but their president now is, is running for his fifth term. Uh, they also, the reason I said that is they also have a king. They also have a king, the king of Uganda. He's a figurehead, somewhat like Queen Elizabeth of England. And he's a figurehead. The people love their king. He is Bugandan. But the other peoples love him too. Here recently, one of the reasons we had a trip to Uganda planned, and one of the reasons we decided not to go was because of the election that they just had. Uh, they had a lot of controversy. One of the generals wanted to be president and all these other kind of things. Uh, but there was a lot of, lot, of, lot of problems there. And the president 
wanted to uh, stop the movement of the king within, in Uganda. He's no threat to the president. <laughs> He's a figurehead. You know? And so that was, was part of the problems there at that time. Things have cooled down. Uh, the king is still in his place. The people still love the king. Okay? And the president is still in his place. And the people love the president. Things aren't really as bad in Uganda as they are in the rest of Africa. Um, the uh, church in, in Jinja, uh, Uganda, she mentioned uh, Wayanga. Uh, Isaac Chumbadi, who is a really great personal friend of mine, and we bring him to the United States every once in a while, and he has visited at Rima Baptist Church the last time he was here. And we were able, we able to, uh, to talk at Rima. He's a great guy. stands about this tall. He's 35 years old. And he's lived to the life expectancy of the people in Uganda. There's people that are older, but not many. So you've got an average age of about 15, and you've got a mortality of around 35 to 40. Everybody in the country has malaria, okay? No matter what you do. The little nets, they're okay, but at night, during the daytime, what do you do? I mean, you don't carry your net around with you. You get stung, you know, you get bit. But... Uh, but the, one of the big problems that we noticed when we were there before one time was that the government, they get medicines from Red Cross and from the United States and from other countries. Well, the problem was that they took that malaria medicine and the government took it and sold it <laughs> instead of giving it to the people because they can make a buck. Okay? So they've got a problem with, with getting medications, you know, to who needs them. So everybody's running around... Isaac has some, some really, really bad bouts. He had a bout here when he was here before with malaria, and we were able to fix him up. Just like that. Just think the whole, the whole country could be fixed. But a lot of people in, in, in Africa have that, and also South America and other places. So it's not something that you just have in Africa. Um, the church growth in Jinja in is kind of like this. Uh, Isaac was the pastor of Wayanga, and he was promoted to district superintendent when he was promoted, he was given ten churches in the Jinja district. Okay, that he was he was the past. He's also still the pastor, okay, of Wayanga, plus being the district district superintendent, you know, of the other churches in the Jinja district. At that time, there was ten. Well, two of the churches decided that they did no longer want to be a part of our denomination, which is okay. You know, I'll just tell you a secret. <laughs> I know this is this is. Uh, don't let it get out. But when we all get to, to heaven, there's not going to be any denominations. <laughs> you know, no matter what we do here, when we get to heaven, there's not there's one body. Okay, no matter what we call ourselves here, whatever we're comfortable with here is fine, as long as we we we've got the main thing is the main thing. You know, but but there's two of them, and, and I, applaud, I applaud them for it. They said there's another denomination. It was a Christian denomination. Okay that's willing to help support us. And so we're going to leave the church and we're going to go along with them. Praise God. They got some support. You know, they're getting Bibles. And they're getting all kinds of stuff. You know, now from this other denominations, that's great. That's growth. That's the body of Christ growing. Okay? Well, that brought Isaac down to eight. And that was last year. Right now, he has 13 churches after a year. The growth is not coming from within the cities where all the people are, the big people. The growth is coming from in the sticks, 
where the road just keeps getting narrower and narrower and narrower until you finally have to brush the stuff aside to get to where you're going to get to the church. I've never seen so much, so much love. I've never seen so many people so happy with, with what was going on and wanting to share it with other people in my whole life as I've seen out there and, and with meeting church in church with like a tarp over the top. You know, that's their church. And I've never seen such worship in all my life. Such love is tremendous. We should take all of our buildings, take them down and put up tarps. I know you've got a building. I didn't mean to insult your building plan. But what I'm saying is that what I see over there, you know, they have absolutely nothing. Their pastors get zero. They don't get any money. What's more than that, these five churches that I'm talking about that are growing so fast, nobody in the congregation has any money either. But they're growing. They're going with what they got what God gave them to work with. (laughs) And they're growing the church. If we could do that here. If we had that mindset that our purpose is, is to go and to teach and to make disciples. It's our full time job. And everything else was part time. What if? Jesus started with twelve. Twelve disciples. And a few pages down the road, we talk about 5,000 people sitting there listening to him. That was just the men. That wasn't the women and children were there. Obviously, there was probably more children, <laughs> you know, than here. But think about that. Uh, there's tremendous opportunities there. But before we talk about the opportunities, I've also got a video, so you don't have to listen to me. And, and I want to tell you about the video. All the sounds that you hear in the video in the background are actual sounds that, that we recorded while doing services or praise and worship or whatever. And the pictures and the videos are the ones from our trip that we just had here this year. Uh, I'll talk to you more about that after the video. Just a little side note. The lady with the uh, white shirt and a black skirt is Mary that was helping lead the children in that. So you know what Mary looks like. In, uh, in Acts also, we, we have another taste of, of the Great Commission. And in Acts 1.8, actually in 7, says, and he said to them, it is... Oh, excuse me. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we've kind of covered that. But there's something that was that's in there that, that comes right after that. It's kind of like the punctuation to what Christ had said. It says, and when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were looking up into heaven, right? Two men stood by them in white robes, 
And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What was he saying? He was saying, why are you still standing here? You know what you're supposed to do. The church, the church in America knows what they're supposed to do. And these two guys, one over here and one over here, are standing here and asking us that question, what are you waiting for? You already know what you're supposed to do. He's going to come back. He's coming back for His bride, the body of Christ. Okay, And He's going to look at us and say, okay, where are they? We've got to answer that question. Where are they? Why are there empty seats in your church on Sunday? We have to ask ourselves that. Why are there empty seats in Sunday school? Why are there empty seats when we go visiting? Does a pastor do it all? Is he supposed to? No. It's for the body of Christ. We're all supposed to do it. Talk about some some misconceptions I had. I told you I was going to do that, so I'm going to keep my promise. I thought they needed big buildings. I thought they needed all kind of stuff like that. We went to these five churches out on the sticks that you could barely get to. You saw a picture of one of their roofs on their church. If you remember it, it was a grass type of a roof, and there was holes in it. You know? They had a tremendous congregation. That's, that church hadn't been around for like three months. Started by another church out in the sticks. Okay? <laughs> This is another church competing, you know, in, in the same kind of area, but you know, they're not too far apart. You know, but they were started because they felt they needed to start in this little village that was close to them. We met a guy in that village. And uh, I'm gonna share this testimony. Uh, this is this is God's work, not mine. Uh, this little pastor, his father, was Muslim. He was a converted Muslim. And his father was in the house, and he asked me, he says, well, y'all go and, and, and see my dad, you know, before you leave. I said, that's not a problem. So we went over there, and we saw him, and uh, he's got cancer, okay? And uh, their treatments over there, whatever their treatments are, okay, no telling what they are, like $15 for a treatment. So, you know, whatever it is they do for people with cancer, that's what it costs, and uh, $15 our money, Okay. We went in there and we talked with him, and we asked him if we could pray for him, and we did. And he said, you know, uh, the son says, my dad, now I, I can see my son asking for this. My dad hasn't, his, his, can't get his cancer treatments. He has two more treatments for, for whatever it's going to do for him. And, and uh, we weren't able to pay but for half of the one that he just had, so he can't go back. Okay, so uh, God put it on my heart and said, well, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll just pay for the rest of his treatments. And we had enough Ugandan shillings uh, with us that we gave him the shillings for, for to pay it. Then I asked the man if he would stand up, you know. I wanted to hug his neck, you know. 
And the boy says he can't stand up. He's paralyzed from the waist down. And then, then I'm thinking, wow, you know, I didn't know that. He's dressed in a white gown. Okay, there's a picture of him somewhere. But he's dressed in a white gown. And I'm shaking his hand. But uh, then, then I felt like, wow, you know, he's been in here and he can't get out. And he hasn't got anywhere to go anyway, so how far can he go? I said, he needs a wheelchair. <laughs> he needs a wheelchair. And I said, is there any place, you know, like in Kampala, which is a long way off from there, that we can get a wheelchair for him? I said, my company will pay for it. We'll get a wheelchair for him. And uh, how much would one cost? Courtney, you're going to have to figure this real quick because I can't figure it again. <laughs> okay. It was like 450,000 Ugandan shillings. Okay. A dollar, y'all figure it, a dollar is equal to 2,500. Okay. So, so that would be the cost of a wheelchair. Okay. Well, we went into town to buy some Bibles while we were there. And while we were buying the Bibles, uh, we, we saw this wheelchair out there. Almost fell on it. <laughs> and uh, well, we asked, who's this wheelchair belong to? And the guy in the Bible store says, well, it's ours. We're trying to sell it. How much do you want for it? 160,000 Ugandan shillings. I said, we'll take it. <laughs> you know. Now, this, this is the other thing. That the cost of the Bibles and the cost of the wheelchair was exactly the amount of money we had to spend at the Bible store. You know, so we got Bibles and we got the wheelchair, and they took him to the wheelchair the next week. Now, that's, that's not the good part of the story. The good part of the story is this. The next Sunday after the wheelchair was delivered, the man went to his son's church and denounced his religion and became a Christian. All his life he'd been a Muslim. Because of the kindness that God showed him, he became a Christian. Talk about opportunities. They're there. We talked about schools a little earlier. That's an opportunity. It's a big one. These little churches are starting schools for those children. These churches like have poles. You saw the pictures, okay? They have poles and they have like tarps wrapped around them, and they're growing. I asked them what their needs were. It wasn't what I thought. I asked this one guy, I said, what, what, if you had a need that could be satisfied, that we could satisfy for you, what would it be for your church and the people in your community, and your, and, you know, right here in your village? He says, we could like, we'd like hoes. I said, really? He said, yeah, we need some hoes to dig with. I said, that's, that's, that's really not a problem. Then being Western, right? I said, well, I've got to figure out a way to get over this, right? I've got to show him that, that he doesn't know everything he needs to know about the land that he lives in, right? And I say, you know, what if we got you some oxen? And we got you a blade. So you could till the soil with the oxen and the blade. And he looks me in the face and says, what would I feed it? <laughs> you know? They don't need what we think they need. They need Bibles in their own language, which is available. This, this particular community needs some hose. $5 a piece is what they cost. They need some seeds. We can't give them seeds from over here because they don't live over there. Okay, You've got to buy seeds over there. 
They've got to buy their utensils over there because they're made for the kind of ground that they work. Our stuff wouldn't last over there. Our seeds won't grow over there. It's not something we can send over there. But you know what's already there? Our Lord Jesus Christ is already there. God is already there. And He's doing a work. We're trying to fix it. He already knows what He's doing. We just have to get on board. We've got to find out what they really need by going there and visiting them and spending time with them and getting to know them and loving them. Then we know how to help. They'll tell us. We don't have to guess. We don't have to make mistakes. A long time ago, I'm going to tell this, and we're just about done. Yep, it's been almost an hour. So, uh, the church in Uganda starts at 8 o'clock. Sometime around 3, it's done. Okay? So, just to let you know. I'm going to let you off in an hour or so. I'm going over a little bit, so don't be mad. Uh, but, uh, but they do. They have people. The reason they do that is because people start early in the morning to walk there, okay, to walk to the church to be a part of the worship service. That would be a pitiful if somebody walk two hours, right, and everybody was gone. So they just keep going, <laughs> you know, and they stay. Uh, the, uh, I, I, when you get older, you kind of forget where you were going. That's what it is, did. Uh, but, but at any rate, uh, they, uh, they need Bibles. And they, need, they need all kind of stuff like that. Uh, but uh, the churches there uh, need us. They really do. Uh, besides the, uh, the churches I just talked about, the five new ones, Isaac has told me that there's going to be three more new churches before February out there. Uh, one of the churches, one of the churches uh, had a, uh, a problem. Uh, on the, one of these posters, you'll see something they need. Uh, in fact, Rima, I'm going I'm to tell on Rima, if that's okay. Uh, we were here with Isaac, and one of the churches, uh, the Muslims burnt the roof off the church in the community they lived in. And uh, nobody was inside. They did it, you know, when nobody was there, but they burned it off to see if they'd go away, you know. And... Uh, Isaac came over right after that had happened, and, uh, and I said, well, Isaac, what would it cost, you know, to get a new roof? I, I said, I don't know what kind of roof you need, you know. He says, well, we buy 10 sheets, you know, just metal, metal strips, you know, and uh, I don't know what it's really called. I can't remember, but uh, we just like corrugated stuff, you know, you stick up on the roof, 10 roofs. We have it around here. And I said, well, what would it cost to, to, to redo the roof for that church? And he said, well, it's going to be a lot. And I said, well, what is it? He said, $350, you know, is what we need. And we'll get, we'll get enough sheets to, to fix that church and everybody won't be standing out in the weather when they come to worship. Rima gave us half of it. And another church gave us the other half. Isaac went back and he was so excited when he got off the plane, he went and said hello to his wife, hired a vehicle, went and bought the tent, took it out to the church and stayed there until they finished it. He was supposed to go to a, a, a big meeting in Kampala. <laughs> he didn't go. He went to fix the church. That's the kind of person he is. You know? He's for what God's doing. He's not for necessarily what you know, is, is popular. You know, so he's a great guy. Hope you get to meet him. Uh, 
Do you have any anything uh, else you want to say, Courtney? To invite those who were possibly thinking of joining us this next time in July um, to stay a little after. Also, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there that the women's group in Wayanga uh, Central has made handmade stuff. Um, as you know, one of one of the needs that they have presented to us is the need for um, sewing machines um, because they want to be self-sustaining and they want to be able to produce um, for their own family. And a lot, a lot of times, there aren't men in the household, so it's the women are the head of the household and having to provide for the slew of children that they have uh, taken under their care, who are often not theirs as well. So, um, Wayanga has a whole slew of of um, of. Mm, sewing machines, but a lot of these other churches do not. So at any rate, um, all the money, all the proceeds go directly to the women's shelter. We have um, cost the, the um, cost to go up a ridiculous amount so that we can send even more over. So um, they basically gave a lot of these items to us in hopes that um, they could possibly get some Westerns, Westerners money. <laughs> Tell you, all, tell you about the value of them. Uh, my son Jonathan and I went to Fernandina Beach and uh, went to one of those little cozy, cozy shops over there. And we went in and uh, we, we saw some jewelry. And I looked at it and said, that looks just like the jewelry that, that we got, you know, from Uganda. So I went over there and looked at it and it had a label on it that said Uganda. <laughs> you know, it said Uganda. And they, it's one of those, what do you call them, free trade things. I'm not sure how that works. Not sure how that works, but we were selling the jewelry and for like 10 bucks, something like this. The, the price on that was $42. Okay. So we told them that we would sell them some, you know. <laughs> so, of course, we'd sold it for 25 you know, but, but, but we didn't get a chance to. But um, I wanted to invite you also, uh, if, if you have any kind of question that you'd like to give us, it's 7 o'clock. If you've got to go, that's okay. I will not be insulted, but if you do have some questions that you would like us to answer, we, we would be more than happy to, to, to help you with that, and if not, we'll get the answer. Any questions about Uganda? We gave a good history lesson. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I forgot most of it. But <laughs> Okay, well, we're glad that you came. And we hope that we've, you know, given you a little bit of good information that maybe you can share with someone else. And uh, just know that there's people all over the world that, that are quite different than us uh, and they have less opportunity and they're happier than we are. <laughs> so, you know, you can be happy. Uh, the, one thing that, the one thing that really sticks with me is when I came back the first time, even though I was ridiculously messed up because of what I'd seen, I found out how much I did not need. I did not need. I've also lost 36 pounds because I didn't have to eat all that. <laughs> you know? I changed a lot when I came back. It changed my perspective. But uh, I'm glad to lose 36 pounds, but I'm also glad to find out what I really don't need. I invite you to go with us. We're going in July of, of 13. We're going to leave on uh, the night, Sunday night of the 14th, and we'll be back on the 26th. If you'd like to know more about that, we invite you to stay. Other than that, Pastor, would you 
dismiss us with a, a prayer. Let's all stand. Now, Father, I thank you for reminding us that there are people outside of our world who need us, and the surprising thing is we need them as much, perhaps more, than they need us. Because they have so much to teach us. We think we're the ones... They are the ones to teach us. Lord, I thank you for my brother who obviously uh, is filled with passion for the ministry to Uganda. Thank you for Courtney. Thank you for the two of them bringing this to our church, and I pray that your spirit now would take the seed they planted and that you would multiply it. And Father, we pray for the children and the folks in Uganda. Lord, you are there. Churches are being birthed. And Lord, you are there. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to be about what you're doing. Help us to follow the Acts 1-8 challenge. And Lord, my brother is right. It's not pick one of those. It's all of those simultaneously. That's what you've called us to do. And we thank you for reminding us of that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have some nice still pictures up here for you to look at. And if the children want some pictures, I've got some in the car that I'm going to bring in, and they can have some.